All right, church, if you can wrap up your conversation, bring your conversation to a close. My name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and I am so honored that you are here with us. If you are new to our community, we want to extend a warm welcome to you. We are glad you're here, and we hope that today helps you encounter Jesus in a fresh way. If you're worshiping with us online, we love you, we're with you, and we're glad that you are a part of our church as well. We are in a teaching series on the book of Ephesians called Sons and Daughters. Say it with me now, sons. Say it with me now, sons and daughters. And we're going through the book of Ephesians. Today is going to be week three in that series. As we go there, I wanna make a quick announcement about the masks. We know this week that Governor Abbott uh, decided to end the mask uh, mandate in Texas. And some of you are like, yes, this is amazing. And others of you are like, oh no. And I realized that everyone has a strong opinion about this. And guess what? Your opinion might be right or your opinion might be wrong, right? We just need to have some humility. But a lot of questions that we've gotten are, hey, what are we doing as a church? That is a great question. Our policy uh, up until now, and will continue to be our policy for the uh, you know, immediate future, is that when you're in the sanctuary in our Antioch HQ on Sundays, that you would wear your mask. It's one way that we can love one another when we are together. We're letting life groups decide, life group by life group, what makes sense for them because we have so many different types of groups and types of people. We will be reevaluating our mask policy here in the near future, and when there are changes, if there are changes, we will let you know. And when the day comes where coronavirus is in the rearview mirror, Lord, I hope that is close, we'll have a mask-burning party, because I know no one likes these, but we need to do them for now, so the expectation is when you're here on Sunday mornings that you would wear your mask while you're in the facility. When you leave, take your mask off. God bless you, and we will update you on when and if there is a change. Okay, I will be so happy when we no longer have to give updates on masks, uh, just as your pastor. It's not what I got in this for. Okay, if you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, that's where we're going to be today. And I wanna ask you a question as we get started. Have you ever found yourself dwelling on your mistakes? Have you ever found it just where something, you make a mistake in something and it just eats your lunch, it sits on your mind, you just, it weighs you down. Either your mistakes or perhaps the mistakes of others, someone that you're in relationship with, someone that you work for, a teacher that you have, a friend, a coworker, where you're just very, very aware of their mistakes. And if there was a TV channel on your mind, it's just kind of fixated either on your mistakes or their mistakes. Mistakes. Have you ever noticed how criticisms can often have a greater impact on our lives than compliments? Sometimes we can take compliments and be like, yeah, 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 but a criticism, it just lodges within us. Have you ever gotten a bad grade on one test? And even though all your other grades are good, it brings you down that day. You're just like, I am such an idiot. Or you're at work and you have a performance review and there's good things on your review but there are a couple criticisms in there and it just eats at you. 
Does anybody track with me? Anybody find it easier to dwell on those negative things than the positive things? Just give me a show of hands if you are like 99% of humanity. The 1% that you guys are just Mr. and Miss Positive, that's awesome. Most of us are not that way. Psychologists tell us that the reason that these type of experiences, these negative experiences, leave a much deeper mark on us, that they stick with us in a much deeper way, is something that they call a negativity bias. And they say our brains are prone to drift like a magnet pulls something in toward that which is negative. It's why on the nightly news, they're gonna lead with negative headlines because we just drift in. If they're like, everything is right in the world, then we're just gonna show kitty videos, cat videos, you know, tonight. No one would watch, but they lead with the negative stories, and we're just, we're drawn in. It's a negativity bias. That negativity bias uh, can have a corrosive effect on our confidence, on our decisions, and our, on our relationships. It can help us for sure. We can learn from our mistakes, but when that just sits on us day in and day out, it can eat away our confidence. It can eat away our, our, our relationships with others. It can eat away our sense of, of purpose. And coming out of 2020 and so far in 2021, there is a lot of room to be negative. There is a lot for our negativity bias to be drawn to. And in Ephesians, we find God giving us an invitation as sons and daughters not to stay in that toxic mindset place, not to stay in that corrosive place, but that he invites us in Ephesians chapter four to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to build a new kind of mindset, a healthier mindset, a more life-giving mindset, a mindset more focused on Jesus, more focused on his kingdom, more marked by love and peace and joy and hope and goodness and patience and kindness and self-control, right? Be more marked by that than all of the toxic things that we can drift so naturally towards. So as we go through the book of Ephesians, we are focused on building those heavier, or those, those uh, more life-giving mindsets. Now, another question. Does anybody know what this guy is? All right, composter. Somebody said it over here. Uh, you are a, a, a good environmentalist. This is a composter. Now, if you don't know, uh, and, and you guys are smart, so you'll probably all know this. You just didn't want to say it. But uh, when land is used, when things grow on land, natural uh, minerals and, and the, the uh, fertile properties of the land are stripped over time. And creation has a way over hundreds of years of replenishing itself. Think Lion King, circle of life. But people have figured out that there is a process called composting that can naturally accelerate that replenishing process, that renewal process. And you take a bin like this and you put organic materials in there like food scraps or yard clippings, those sort of things. You put it in here, you, you close it up, it spins around over time, and the, the, the natural kind of things within natural ingredients within those products begin to break it down and then make it into this nutrient-rich material. So after a while, you open it up, you put your handy-dandy gloves on. They have like little claws. It's amazing. Put your gloves on. 
And then you reach in and you can kind of break up the compost if you need to. And then you pull it out and you put it in your flower bed or your garden or some uh, place where you're trying to grow things. And in a period of weeks, the compost renews the land in what would normally take hundreds of years in a period of weeks. This nutrient-rich material that has power to renew things that have been depleted. And I look at our minds, I look at our thought life, I look at our brains like land. God has given us natural, creative processes and thoughts. Our minds are made to be fertile. They're made to create things. Over time, through negative events and just the challenges of life, our minds can become drained. They can drift toward that toxicity. And what God wants for us is to have that life-giving mindset. And here's what I want to make sure you get. Here's what I want to make sure, whether you're in here in the sanctuary or you're watching online, that you connect. As we go through the book of Ephesians, God's truth is a nutrient-dense material that has power to renew that which has been depleted. And as we go through God's word, as we go through the truth found in Ephesians, it's like, let me put my cool gloves back on. It is like this nutrient-rich material that the Holy Spirit wants to use in your life and use in my life to take the truth of God's word and to place it like compost on the land of our minds that as we dwell on it, as we consider it, as we focus it, as what scripture calls someone, we meditate on it. The Holy Spirit then takes that renewing power of God's word and he births something, he restores us, he renews us, he rejuvenates our mind, he helps us to build that healthier, more Jesus-focused mindset that God desires for us to have. So each week as we're going through Ephesians, we're looking together on Sunday mornings at the truth of God's word. And then we've designed this renewed mind guide, which many of you have received. If you're worshiping with us, you can download it on our website. If you haven't gotten a hard copy, you can get one, I believe, in the lobby today. And this has practical steps to take the truth that we're learning together on Sunday and then place it like compost on our minds during the week for us to experience the renewed mind that God desires for you and I to have as his sons and daughters. So far, we've seen a fresh revelation in Ephesians of who God is. We've had an opportunity to be renewed about who he is. We've seen that our father is a blesser, that he's loving that he adopts us, that he's gloriously and richly grace-filled and has lavished that grace on us as his people, that he is a revealer of mysteries and he is a unifier. We've seen that our God, even though you and I were dead in our transgressions and sins, that God, who is rich in mercy, came for us, that he has made us alive in Christ, that we are people no longer defined by our mistakes, but defined by God's mercy toward us. We are people who are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are ones who have encountered the grace of God. If you consider your life for a moment and you think back through, if you have encountered the grace of God, just say amen. amen. 
Who's encountered the grace of God? Right? We've encountered the grace of God. These are the things that are more true about us. We've encountered his grace and we've been given a purpose. You and I have good works to do. God has good works before us. We are called with a purpose. We are sons and daughters with a purpose. Now, as we keep studying through this book, week by week by week, we're going to be exposed to new truth, new opportunities for compost to come in and renew our minds. And some messages, some weeks, some things that we focus on are probably gonna hit deeper for you than others, but I believe that the Lord has something for all of us here in this series so that we can all experience the renewal that Jesus desires for us to have that Jesus desires for us to have. So today, we're going to focus, as Paul turns in Ephesians chapter two, he begins to speak about God's vision for the church. And here's what I've come to share with you today. Here's the big idea. As sons and daughters, you and I, we should renew our minds on God's vision for the church for three important reasons. Let me make sure you get that. As sons and daughters, we should renew our minds on God's vision for the church for three important reasons. Now, when we start talking about who God is, you're like, oh, that's awesome, who he's made us, that's so cool. When I start talking about God's vision for the church, you're like, eh, I I don't know about that. But, but, But just hear me out. Three important reasons why I believe that we all should renew our minds on God's truth, God's vision for the church. The first one is because there are so many counterfeits and the cost of these counterfeits are so painful. The counterfeits are costly. My son and I, one of my boys, we've gotten into collecting sports cards and we've been having a good time with it. I collected as a kid, he started getting into it in the fall, so we bought some packs, we bought some cards, we're having a good time. And we're trying to learn about this hobby. And one of the things that I found out as we've been learning is there are a number of sports cards that are like the holy grail of sports cards. Uh, A Michael Jordan rookie card. A Luka Doncic, one sold this week for like $4 million. It's crazy. Uh, How much? 4.8 million. Fact checker right here. Thank you. Tom Brady, rookie card, he just won the Super Bowl. I saw Steve, we've got some Boston love in here. Right, those cards are going for a couple million dollars. These small pieces of cardboard with such incredible value. Well, people have realized that and they've started making counterfeits of these cards. They'll make fake Michael Jordan rookie cards or fake Tom Brady rookie cards and try and pass them off. And I'm on a little Facebook group where people talk about Cards, and I'm trying to learn, and and people from time to time will post pictures. In fact, one guy posted this week of a Michael Jordan rookie card. Now, Michael Jordan rookie card right now, as we speak, is on auction uh, for $450,000, a perfect one. So half a million dollars for a little piece of cardboard. It's crazy. But this guy posted that someone had offered to sell him a Michael Jordan rookie card for a really good price. And he was like, "I, I just wanna double check that this is real, that this is not a fake. And he put the pictures, you know, on the group, and then all these people are chiming in. They're like, oh, no, no, avoid, danger, danger, danger. Look, this doesn't have the right coloring here. It missed the decimal there. They knew the marks of the real, 
So they're very aware of what was fake. Now, if this guy hadn't gotten that advice and he had dropped five figures or six figures on this card that turned out to be a fake, that would be very, very costly. How many of you know that would be a bad day, <laughs> right? But he found out, he was aware, oh, this is a counterfeit, and he was able to avoid that. In a similar way, I'm going to say something that is not often said in churches, but probably should be said more often. There are so many counterfeit or corrupted expressions of Jesus and the church that are so costly to so many. Now, before I go into this, I wanna say I'm not talking about you grew up in a church that was like, hey, people don't worship the way we worship. They don't sing songs or they do sing songs or they raise their hands or they don't raise their hands so they're not the real deal. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the natural thing in churches where people uh, get their feelings hurt, at times they're disappointed, at times there's relational wounding. If you are a part of our church for any length of time, I will disappoint you. I will probably do something that's hurtful to you. You will probably disappoint me, do something that's hurtful to me and us to one another because none of us are perfect, right? There are no perfect churches. The minute we find one and you and I show up, it's no longer perfect because we're there, right? No perfect church. I'm not just talking about the normal relational kind of stuff that we go through. I'm talking about bigger issues than that. Some of this is you have experienced a watering down of church. I remember as a, as a kid going with my parents to church, and I don't remember much about the church, but I remember this one incident where we're walking in a church, I'm with my mom and my dad, and I see someone we know sitting in their car in a nice suit, as church has started, and I'm like, Mom, why is so-and-so sitting in the car? And I could hear he was listening to the pregame NFL football show. Cowboys game was about to be on, so he was listening to it on his car radio. I'm like, Mom, why is he, why is he sitting there? And she's like, well, you know, he comes to church, he brings his wife, he sits in the car, but he wants to dress like he's been to church, and they go to lunch afterwards, and everybody kind of thinks they've been to church, but he's more interested in, in the football game than going to church. And you know how sometimes when you're a kid, things just stick in your mind? Like you just, for whatever reason, that just stuck in my mind. And what I felt was, oh, I understand what church is. It's kind of like a social club. It's kind of like just a thing to do, a group to belong to, but there's no real power here because here's this guy dressed up, but he's just listening to the Cowboys game. And I like the Cowboys, but I was like, this doesn't feel like there's power here. Watered down. You might have experienced watered down church. Uh, another experience that I had was much more severe than just the watered down church. Uh, we went on a mission trip to the Middle East one year, and we got there and we were talking with some uh, people there who were our connection. And they said, Hey, while you're here, I know that you probably want to call yourself a Christian. We would ask you not do that. We would ask you to refer to yourself as a follower of Jesus. And we're like, what? Like, why? We're Christians. Like, why not just say we're Christian? And they said, well, you have to understand a little history about where we are. We are in a land where the Crusades were fought, where Christians came in and went to war against Muslim people. And there was bloodshed and violence, and it was conquest. And when you say Christian, even though you mean something different, what they hear is, oh, these are the people that slaughtered my ancestors. 
Don't say Christian. Say you're a follower of Jesus. And that was a first exposure. Of course, I'd read about the Crusades in history class in high school, but I'd never really thought about what had been done in the name of Jesus in that way. That's, that's grievous. That's an atrocity. It's a counterfeit version of the church and the way of Jesus. Over the past few years, I think we've all seen and been aware of the number of Christian leaders, churches, and ministries that have done incredible acts of abuse in our generation. I think over this last year, there have been so many days where I've wanted to order sackcloth and ashes off of Amazon just to mourn and grieve the things that have been done as, as the, the events or the, the deeds of people like Ravi Zacharias or Carl Lentz or Bill Hybels have been put before us. Or if you're not familiar with those names, as we've had the Me Too movement over the last couple years, right with that has been church too. The same things, the same type of abuse that are happening in the world are happening within the church. And beloved, this ought not to be. This ought not to be. And I say that with great um, sadness in my heart over what has been done and over what is being perpetrated in the name of Jesus. And I've been in this job long enough to know that if you're here in our sanctuary or you're with us online, that you probably have experienced on the mild end, watered down church. And on the significant end, you have experienced the pain of abuse. Over the last year, it's been highlighted in a fresh way the ways in which the churches in, uh, in the United States in particular have been uh, places that have fostered uh, racial injustice and supported racial injustice. True, there are many churches that have led the way and blazing a new path, and that's really encouraging to me, but I just need to acknowledge the elephant in the room over this issue. And that has caused incredible harm to uh, hundreds, thousands, millions of people, entire generations. Those are counterfeit expressions. And because of the cost of the counterfeit, I think it's important that we all know what the real deal is. Because on those forums, the only way they know what is counterfeit are those who know the marks of the real thing. So I wanna make sure that you do not get hurt by the cost of the counterfeit. And the only way I can ensure that is by you knowing the marks of what God's vision for the church is. Now, the other thing that I've learned about counterfeits, because sometimes you're just like, well, who needs the church then? Like, let's just move on and kind of do, we'll just all follow Jesus independently and, and whatever. But what I've learned is the only reason that there are counterfeit cards is because there are cards with great value. We only counterfeit things, we only corrupt things if they have true worth attached to them. No one counterfeits something that's worthless, but we counterfeit things that are valuable. And just like those cards have value and therefore people corrupt them, there is incredible, incredible potential in the church. There's incredible value in the church. And I want us to see that today. It's the second reason that we should renew our minds. 
So let's go to Ephesians chapter two and we're gonna begin to see some of the potential, some of the value, some of the just remarkable possibility within the church. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 11. Now, we're gonna read from 11 to 22 and we're gonna look at the potential of the church. This is the second reason that we should all renew our minds in God's vision for the church. Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Stop right there. You might be like, hey, that's a little like, why are you talking about people's private you know, areas and this, like what's going on here, right? There is an incredible uh, drama that shapes much of the New Testament related over some terms like these. When Paul uses the term the circumcision, he's referring to the Jewish people. When he uses the term the uncircumcision, he's referring to what at that time was known as Gentiles, everyone else. And in their day, there was a debate and it's being fleshed out in this church. God's heart from the beginning has been to reach and restore the whole world. Along the way, uh, God chose the Jewish people to be his agents, his vessels, to extend that blessing project, that reach and restoration project. Somewhere in there, sin came in and warped it to where they believed that it was all about them, that they were superior, that they were God's chosen people in such a way that they were better than everyone else. And so there was a degree of ethnic superiority to the Jewish people and they looked at the rest of the world as the less thans. God, the whole time is like, no, 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 my heart is for the whole world. My heart is for the whole world. I chose you to use you to reach the whole world. Jesus comes in and brings that into very clear focus, but this is a shock to the system for people who for generations had grown up thinking we're the best, everyone else is kind of second place. And the world would be a whole lot better if everybody did everything our way. We were number one and everyone else was kind of, you know, acknowledged who was the best. There's this drama going on. And Jesus is like, no, 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 once again, God's heart is for the whole world. God wants to reach and restore the whole world. God wants Jew, God wants Gentile, God wants them all. God desires that all people be saved and come to a saving knowledge of the truth. That's going on, and it just is hard for people to wrap their brains around, and it's even harder to live out in person. What's happening in this church and what's happening that shapes the drama of the New Testament in the book of Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, and more is this, okay, wait, now, we've grown up in a culture, these Jewish Christians, where, where we have thought that we're superior, and now... Jesus has come to these Gentiles as he's come to us. The Spirit's been poured out on us. The Spirit's been poured out on them. And now we're, we're, we're forced to be in the same church and learn how to do life together in a way that our background and culture did not prepare us for. And so they're wrestling over this. How many of you know that ideas sometimes that are beautiful in nature are very challenging to work out in reality? And they're wrestling and they're trying to figure it out. So when Paul starts talking about the circumcision and the uncircumcision, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's saying, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentile, meaning you who are not Jewish by birth, you're called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. He states, just what he stated earlier, that apart from Christ, we are all dead in sin. 
And then he goes on. And he says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He restates what he stated at the beginning of chapter two. But here's where it turns, because he moves from having us look upward just to think about our salvation towards God toward looking at one another. And he says in verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. What are the two groups he's talking about? Jew and Gentile. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Stop there. What in the world? Wall of hostility, this barrier that he's setting aside, what's going on? The center of Jewish religious life was the temple in Jerusalem. It originally was built by Solomon as a, as a template from the tabernacle, and it was the place where they believed God's Shekinah presence, the holy presence of God, dwelled. And all of their religious life centered around the temple. Now, the temple of Solomon was destroyed uh, in around, uh, uh, sorry, blanked on the day, around the 500, 600s BC, before Christ, in the exile, and then it was rebuilt over a period of hundreds of years. The second temple, the one that was rebuilt, is often referred to as the temple of Herod. And you'll hear people, if you're into kind of like Bible stuff, you hear people talk about first temple Israel, second temple Israel, like, you'll hear it, right? Second temple, they kind of took what was there in the first temple, but they added some things. They modified some things. They added some uh, courts. Some of those courts were the court of the Gentiles, the court of women. Here was the main court that if you were a God-fearing Jew who was ceremonially clean, you could go there, and here was the Holy of Holies, like the center of it all. But if you were a Gentile, you had to stay in the outer courts. You wanted to know God. You wanted to be part of God's people. That's fine, but, but your place is out there. And there was a dividing wall in the temple to separate where the Gentiles could gather, that was on the outside, and the Jews could gather on the inside. The Jewish men could gather on the inside. And on that, uh, archeologists have found on that wall as they've gone through the remains, on the court of the Gentiles it reads, whosoever is captured past this point will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. What are they saying? They're saying, hey, if you're a Gentile and you go past this wall into closer in on the temple, it's your own fault that you're gonna die. That sounds like some hostility, right? And that was a picture of the hostility that existed between the ethnic groups. Now, I wanna pause here for a moment because sometimes people can build some very uh, strange theology around Jewish people over this issue. What I want you to know is I have traveled the world as have many of you. And in every country I go to, I can count on a few things. I can count on there being a McDonald's there. I can count on finding satellite dishes and internet cafes. And I can count on finding racism. I can count on finding it's a different country, but it's the same thing. This group looks down on that group. That group looks down on this group. And there's hostility there around the world. This is not a Jewish thing. This is not an American thing. This is not like a skin issue, right? This is a sin issue, right? It's the sin in mankind's hearts. One of the fruits of that sin, a toxic fruit, a poisonous fruit, is racism. 
So when we're looking at this, don't look, oh, Jewish people bad. That's not what's being said. It just means that they had sin, just like you and I have sin, and they need a savior, just like you and I need a savior. And our problems in our generation are not so new, but they're very old, and they have the same solution. We all need Jesus. So he said the, the wall of hostility has been torn down. So they're thinking about that wall in the temple that says, if you go beyond this, you will die. And Jesus has come and he's knocked that wall down and he's made the two groups one. Scripture goes on to say, why was he doing that? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. So again, we're seeing the potential of the church, that God's vision for the church was that he would tear down the dividing walls that sin has created in our lives and that he would bring us together as a new humanity. Now this word new does not mean like you went in and rehabbed a house and you kind of updated it. It's not a refresher on what is. This word for new in the Greek means something that is unprecedented. And I, just like we'll have a mask burning party I'll be happy to have a word unprecedented burning party whenever we come out of this, but this is a good kind of unprecedented, that he's making a humanity that's not been seen before, that's not been what we've known, that it's something new, that God is birthing something new in the church, and the church is God's new humanity through which he wants to reach and restore the world. We're made to be a new humanity. We're made to be a new humanity. That's what Jesus has for us. That's so amazing. And what we see is this breaking down of racial unrest and racial tension is not a secondary issue, is not a side issue, is not a product of the liberals over there or the conservatives over here. It's not a product of that. This is a gospel issue. I'll say it again. I don't know if you're with me. This is not the racial unrest and that being broken down is not part of a liberal agenda. It's not part of a conservative agenda. It may be there. They may talk about it. But you know who thought about it first? God. God's desire. God's new humanity is he's breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. And he's bringing people together to create a new humanity. Not with here's the intercourts and we're here. And you're, you're, you're that ethnicity. You're out there. No, 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 no. It's one new people. Made new, every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered around the throne. The resource for healing the racial brokenness in our world is found in the church. It's found in the gospel. That's why it's so grievous that the counterfeit has perpetrated racism. And we're trying to build something new. God's trying to build something new. God's building a new humanity in the church. Paul goes on to describe uh, some aspects of that new humanity. Verse 17, it says, he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both, say both, we both, both have access to the Father by one spirit. What this means is that every person, regardless of where they're from, what culture they're from, what ethnicity they're from, we all need Jesus. And by Jesus, we all have access to the Father through the Spirit, by Jesus and Jesus alone. That's not based on the color of our skin, it's based on him. I think you can begin to connect the dots into why this is incredibly practical for our generation. Verse 19, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. 
So first, the image of this new humanity is that the church is called to be a colony of heaven. It's called to be a colony of heaven. We are fellow citizens with God's people. He's using political language. That when we come together, what God is building in our midst is a little outpost of heaven. The culture of the kingdom of heaven, the way it is in heaven, is meant to be the way that we live together. It's meant to dominate our way of life together. This new humanity is a colony of the kingdom of heaven. This new humanity says you're, you're citizens with God's people and you're also members of his household. Verse 19, when he's talking about household, he's talking about the family of God. That we're made not just adopted into God's family, but we're made brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're a people with a new culture that our backgrounds probably have not prepared us for. A culture influenced by the kingdom of heaven. And we're made for loving relationships with one another, not based off convenience, not based off political preference, not based off of, well, I like this and you like that, so we like the same things. No, no, no. We are brought together by the blood of Christ. And we're to be a spiritual family, a new kind of family. And then in verse 20, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So third way that we're to be a new humanity. First way is we're a colony of heaven. Second way is we're God's family. Third way is that God is building us together to be a temple for his spirit, a place where the Shekinah glory of God dwells in our midst. That's amazing. We're to be a people where God is found. Can you see the potential in the church? Can you see when God's vision for starting this baby, this is what he wants, a colony of heaven, a new kind of family, a temple for his presence to dwell here on earth. That's amazing. That's the potential that's there. Now, third reason why we all need to be renewed in God's vision for the church has to do with the church is the organization that Jesus started. The church is the organization that Jesus loved. The church is the organization that Jesus died for. When I first met Christina, I was smitten with her. And I was trying to figure out ways to be around her. She was in college. I was in college. She studied interior design. I did not study interior design. All the interior designers would uh, work on their projects in one particular building on our campus. I didn't know anyone besides interior designers who had gone in there, so I was too afraid to go in. But she was always there, always working on stuff. And I, I wanted to be where she was. I wanted to be near, I knew if I wanted to be near her, I needed to be near the things that she was into. So I would come up with reasons. That building was on the other side of campus. I had no reason being there. But I would come up with reasons to park the car or walk over or sit at the bench outside that building in hopes that she would be taking a break to go get a coffee or Sonic or whatever it may be that I might see her. 18, 19 years later, I'm still figuring out ways to find the things that she's into and going and being there so that I can be near her. Why? Because I love her, right? We find ways to be near the people that we love. What we see here in this scripture 
is that Jesus is into the church. And if we're looking for him, he's the cornerstone. He's the one the church is being built on. And if we're people that love Jesus, then we're people that wanna be where he is. And if we wanna know where Jesus is, where Jesus is, Jesus is in the church. If we wanna find Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, here's the thing that I'm into, the church. And if you wanna know Jesus, you'll find him in the church. And I wanna know Jesus more and more and more. And my guess is the reason you're here today is you do too. And what he said is, these types of communities are where he is as broken and as frail and as flawed as they might be, Jesus is here. His presence is here this morning. And so I wanna challenge you to be renewed in your mind around God's vision for the church because of the cost of the counterfeits, because of the potential of the true, and because the church is the organization that Jesus loved, that Jesus started, that Jesus died for, and that Jesus will return for. And if we wanna be Jesus' people, we're gonna find him here within the church. With that, I wanna invite you to stand. As we close, I know that this uh, teaching hits people in a number of ways. And for some of you, you're like, man, this is great. And for others of you, your relationship with the church is complicated. And it's probably not gonna be resolved in a single day. But I have faith this morning for the Lord to take the compost of his word and if we'll open our hearts to him, that he will come and that he will begin to apply that to our hearts and our minds and our spirits and to renew us and revive us individually and as a people. And so I wanna encourage you, maybe you're here today and you're like, I got hurt by the church and this is the first time I've been back in church in a long time. I wanna encourage you today. And I'm not asking you to open your hearts to me. I'm not asking you to open your hearts to our church. I'm asking you to open your heart to the Lord. I'm asking you to open your heart to the one who loves you and has saved you and has brought you here to let him apply his renewing soil, his renewing compost to the soil of your hearts. Maybe you're here today and you've grown up with watered down church. And so it's always felt like, well, this is a convenience. When it fits, I go. When it doesn't, I don't. I believe God's wanting to stir something up in your life today. And I wanna encourage you to open your heart in a fresh way to him. Maybe you're here today and you're tired. You've been doing the church thing and it's hard. Loving people can be challenging at times. And we can lose sight of God's vision for the church and you find yourself just tired. You've been going through the motions, but it's like, man, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I don't know that I have what it takes to go there again. I wanna encourage you, open your heart to the Lord today in a fresh way for him to take the renewing power of his compost, the truth of his word, his vision for the church and to birth something new, to birth something fresh in your heart. So I just wanna invite you to extend your hands. If our worship team can, you guys get ready to lead us in a song. Joe, can you pull that off? I'm gonna pray for you just wherever you are. If you'll just extend your hands. If you're at home and you're watching uh, today or a year from now, just open up your hands. Believe the spirit of the Lord wants to minister to you.
God, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice, Lord, that have been incredibly wounded by the church. When we start talking about this, it is a great source of pain. And God, I know your heart is a heart of healing, of restoration, of making right that which wrong, Lord. And as they're opening up their heart to you in a fresh way today, God, I'm asking that by the Holy Spirit that you would come in and you would restore that which is broken. You would renew that which has been deplenished, Lord. You would bring healing to that which is sick, God, that you would be the great physician, Lord. God, for everyone here that's experienced watered-down church and they've just not seen the potential or they thought, well, it's nice, I'll get to it when I'm older, but they, they're here somehow today watching online or in person, Lord, I pray that you would spark something fresh in their hearts over the potential that you see in them and the potential that you see in the church, and for everyone here today that's tired, that's weary, that's been like, man, I just don't know if I can keep doing this and keep contending and keep believing. God, I'm asking that you would take the compost of your word and you would apply it to the soil of the hearts. I just wanna speak over you that Jesus is here. Jesus is the gardener and he's walking through his greenhouse. And he's applying the compost of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just keep your hands open. The Lord wants to do something in your life right now. Compost speeds up a natural process from hundreds of years to a matter of weeks. And I believe the Lord wants to come and he wants to speed up the restoration process. He wants to speed up the healing process. He doesn't want you defined by your past he wants to define you by his mercy, by his hope, by his love, by his purpose. So as the worship team leads us, let's stay here in this moment and let the Lord minister to us and bring healing and renewal and restoration that we might be renewed in the spirit of our minds as sons and daughters. Come and have your way, Lord.